Hello everyone and welcome to the podcast of English composer Andrew Downs. My name is Paula Downs, I am Andrew's younger daughter and on today's show I am delighted to welcome renowned pianist and great family friend Duncan Honeybourne. He has been an absolutely amazing ambassador for my father's music for which we will be eternally grateful. Branded the heroic Duncan Honeybourne by musical opinion and commended for the suave confidence of his playing by International Piano Magazine, Duncan enjoys a colourful and diverse career as a pianist, writer and in music education. His debut in 1998 as concerto soloist at Symphony Hall Birmingham and the National Concert Hall Dublin was broadcast on radio and television and he gave recital debuts in London, Dublin, Paris and at international festivals in Belgium and Switzerland. Duncan's first solo disc was described by Gramophone magazine as not to be missed by all lovers of English music, whilst BBC Music magazine reported there are gorgeous things here, hard to imagine better performances. Honeybourne has toured extensively in the UK, Ireland and Europe as solo and lecture recitalist, concerto soloist and chamber musician, appearing at many major venues and leading festivals. He has been a frequent soloist on radio networks worldwide, including BBC Radio 3, Irish, French, Belgian, Swiss, Finnish and German Radio, SABC South Africa, ABC Australia and Radio New Zealand. Duncan's many acclaimed recordings reflect his long association with 20th and 21st century British piano and chamber music and include works dedicated to him by several celebrated composers. Duncan Honeybourne has written widely on musical topics for journals ranging from Classical Music magazine to The Times. He is a piano tutor at the University of Southampton and Sherborne School and gives regular masterclasses and adjudications. We are now going to hear Duncan performing the first movement of Andrew Downs' Piano Sonata No. 1. This is from Duncan's CD, Daybreak in the Fields, a CD of all the piano works by Andrew Downs, released by EM Records in 2017.
That was from the CD Daybreak in the Fields, the piano works of Andrew Downs with pianist Duncan Honeybourne, released by EM Records in 2017. To purchase this CD, visit andrewdowns.com. Okay, so now I would like to say a huge welcome to Duncan Honeybourne. Well, thank you very much. Lovely to be here. Thank you so much for coming on our show. Um, can you tell us about your background and um, why did you start learning the piano in the first place? Well, I know that I was always very intrigued by music and very interested in learning to play. It's lost in the mists of time, really, but um, my parents always told me that from the very word go, any music that was around me or on the radio or on television or that I heard, I was totally transfixed and desperate to learn so they got a little toy piano for me and I played it for hours a day so I think it was set from very near the beginning really. Oh how lovely. So did you get lessons quite soon? I started having lessons when I was five, just five. They'd been looking for a teacher who would teach me but there weren't so many around. The ones that were around their books were full and they wouldn't take children that young under the impression very often that they wouldn't be able to read. But I had learnt to read, apparently. I'd taught myself to read. And um, when this one particular teacher found out that, that, that I could read, she was happy to go ahead. So I started soon after my fifth birthday with proper lessons. And did you enjoy the lessons? I certainly love playing. I don't remember so much about those early lessons. I think I certainly used to take myself on an awful lot. I think my first teacher, I'm not sure how regular the lessons were. I think we 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 had quite a few gaps and I used to take myself on from what I've been told. I, I remember enjoying them, yes. But I just remember the whole experience being one of tremendous joy and enthusiasm and and it was my sort of escape really oh that's lovely and so what did you move on to next did you get to a certain level where you needed a new teacher well i went through various teachers locally between then and when i was 13 or 14 and when i did my grade eight i then went on to the junior academy so i used to then go to london every saturday and uh, the teacher i had there i'd met when she came to my hometown of Weymouth to adjudicate at the local music festival and I met her there and that was lovely and we got on very well and then I went on to study with her so that was a lovely progression. Mm, Yeah, so you travelled to London every Saturday? Mm, mm, I caught the early train every Saturday morning, (laughs) half past six or something. And you're not a morning person. Well, uh, as we've just been discussing today, Paula, no, I'm not a morning person. I'm less of a morning person now than I was then. (laughs) Glad I don't have to do it now. Yeah, wow. And did you enjoy being at the Junior Academy? I loved my piano lessons. It was a tremendous adventure the whole experience I used to do a lot of academic work on the train Um, I was quite a solitary child in many ways I loved those journeys and being able to escape into my own thoughts on the two and a half hour journey it was from where we lived to Waterloo it takes longer now Um, it takes about three hours I think but 
it was it was tremendously exciting and of course I had an entrance into a new world I had an insight into a, a an exciting world of professional music which mm. set me up rather nicely and my teacher was very inspirational and very experienced and that was fascinating and sounds amazing it was it was nice and and the opportunity to play chamber music seriously I had a wonderful grounding there actually was it then after school that you moved on to the conservatoire? Mm, mm. Yes, that was when I was 18. And I was looking at where to go after that. And the various factors came into play. I've always had problems getting around because I have a condition which causes me problems with walking. Mm. And I always found London a bit much, to be completely honest. Yeah. It used to take me most of the week to recover from the discomfort that I got from going up there on a Saturday. So I was a bit worried about being being in London full time. I didn't think I'd cope very well yeah. on that and, and other levels. We've got lots of links with Birmingham where my mother was born. It's an area I know very well and I rather fell for the charms of the conservatoire there. And also the, the idea of being in the Midlands full time, generally through, through a mix of factors like that comfortable living, the appeal of the place, looking for the right teacher, practice facilities, etc., etc., etc. By this point, my family were moving to Worcestershire. That's where I ended up, and very happily so, and very profitably so. Yeah, well, I love Worcestershire. Um, mm, well, it's a good part of the world, isn't it? It's beautiful. Mm. So you went to the conservatoire. So tell us about how you discovered the music of Andrew Downs. Well, my teacher at the Junior Academy, Rosemary Wright, was a big influence on me and remains a big influence on me. And she was probably the single most influential person in respect of championing contemporary composers. It was something she'd always done. It was something she thought we all have a responsibility to do as artists and something she actively encouraged and supported me to do from a very, very early age. She even commissioned a piece for me from a composer friend of hers um, when I was about 15 mm -hmm. and I was doing lots of first performances from then on, having a, a, a wonderful time doing it and I was very interested in it. She certainly, I mean, one forgets over the years what idea came from where, but certainly she she had a big part in developing in me this consciousness that we have a responsibility as performing musicians to play the work of living composers mm. and not just the established classics, as it were. Mm. When I got to Birmingham, one of the things I was very interested in, in doing was finding out who there was around, who was working around as a composer, what their music was like. And, of course, your father, being head of composition at the time at the Conservatoire, was an immediate, immediately obvious figure. I went to the library and got out his sonata. Then it was the only piano sonata. And I took a great fancy to it. I, I liked it very much and thought I must learn this. I didn't actually perform it at the time. That was a few years down the line, but I familiarised myself with his idiom and liked it. Of course, he was very much a presence during my time at Birmingham. Also, as you probably know, Paula, I'm, I'm not 
a singer at all. It's not really my area. Much as I love the vocal repertoire and much as I love working with singers, it's not what I do personally. I mean, I don't sing. I play for singers, but I don't sing. The only time when I flirted with that whole thing in my entire life was in the first year as an undergraduate when we all had to belong to this uh, choir. Um, the undergraduate chorus, I think it was called. And one of the works they did was the Downs Luke Passion, oh, right. which I loved. And I still have incredibly fond memories of doing that. And also the Holst Hymn of Jesus, which was the other thing they did in that year. And it was a Monday, they did Monday evening rehearsals and then I would walk down to New Street to catch the train. I can still remember the, you know, the artistic enjoyment of that music combined with the evening air over that that winter and I loved your father's writing in that and could see a definite family likeness with what I'd found in the piano sonata Oh, interesting. And, can, can you describe? Can you describe what you mean by this? Well, this 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 lovely amalgam of modality, rhythmic excitement, and ingenuity. There's a wonderful lyrical sweep, impassioned lyrical sweep, which was the thing that spoke to me. I think above all else, in in his music, there are lots of very clever features in it, which probably go way over my head. But just the sheer humanity and warmth that oozes from the music is is the thing that always made the most visceral appeal to me really that's there in spades in the st luke passion and and it's there in the piano music too i always loved howl's music and of course the the fact that that andrew was a student of howl's and the fact that also he managed to develop and evolve a typically and obviously English tradition and sound whilst being very eclectic as well. I think that fascinates me. Here is the third and last movement of Andrew Downs' Piano Sonata Number no. 1 performed by Duncan Honeybourne on his Daybreak in the Field CD. Thank you. 
I just love that movement and especially the way Duncan plays it. That is Duncan's Daybreak in the Field CD, the piano works of Andrew Downs, and it can be purchased at andrewdowns.com. You can also read about the premieres of all of Andrew Downs' piano works on the blog of Andrew's wife and publisher, Cynthia Downs, also at andrewdowns.com. And now back to Duncan. I must say I've always had a great passion for a lot of the English repertoire that followed the, you know, the tradition set by Vaughan Williams, Howells, John Ireland, E.J. Moore, and, and there's a very passionate tradition there, which, however it might in years past have been criticised for not taking account of some of the more cerebral and avant-garde trends, particularly some of those coming from some continental centres. Nonetheless, there's a huge emotional surging passionate honesty about mm. about a lot of those traditions and i do feel that your father's music fits broadly into elements of that tradition but at the same time it's not just derivative it's not you know it's not vaughan williams moved on 40 years or 50 yeah. years it's infused with he's interested in world music he's interested in indian music he's interested in rock music he's taken a lot of ingredients that some of these older composers would never have thought of and they would at the big of a different generation their exposure and their experience and it's distilled through a different sort of a different sort of filter mm. downs is very much a composer of his time and he's very individual as well and there's there's a lot of there's a lot of bartok and prokofiev and stravinsky and shostakovich in his music that i hear as well which really sets it very much apart from some of those earlier british composers so it's 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 he's his own thing that is there as well he doesn't cover up his roots in the english pastoral school either he's thoroughly honest and committed that's such an excellent description. I'm really grateful for that. Thank you very much. So you talked a bit about Herbert Howells earlier. Mm. You actually performed Andrew Downs' Sonatina for piano yes. alongside Herbert yeah. Howells' own Sonatina for piano. Yeah, I did. I think I did that more than once. It struck me as a nice pairing because they were written around the same time. The Howells' Sonatina is very late. The Downs' Sonatina is very early. And I think there's only about three years between them. Oh, were they? Um, which which I found rather fascinating. They were both written in the 70s. I think the Howells was in 1971. I think the Darren Sonatina was 74. Right. So it's very, very close. And around the time when your father was, was studying with Howells. Right, I see. So it just struck me as a really nice juxtaposition. And I, I, I still think that's one of the finest Downs piano works. It's so tautly structured and the, the contours are very very lean and it's so effective it's a lovely work really and how does it compare with the house well it's I mean, it's very different very very different i mean we know of course of the personal association which makes it interesting to hear. But one thing that very much comes into play, the Howells is, a, is the work of an 80-year-old man. The Downs is the work of a man in his early 20s. I think the Howells is not the sort of music that Herbert Howells would have written in his 20s at all. I mean, it's very, very ingenious. It, one thing they do have in common is they're both very tautly constructed. But I think as we look at how Downs has developed over the decades, the sort of music he's writing now finds the same sort of multi-layered 
maturity and vision that Howells also achieved in his later works. I think there's a sort of directness and an honesty in the Down Sonatina, unfettered by complexity. It's a very straightforward and honest work. I think the Howells Sonatina is a little more secretive and the more is hidden in that work. And I think that you could say that maybe is true of your, your father's later works, perhaps. I, I'm not expressing myself very well on that, but, but I feel your father's early sonatina is a, is a wonderful piece of craftsmanship and it's kind of very economically written, more economically written probably than the Howells. Following his undergraduate degree at Cambridge University, Andrew Downs studied with Herbert Howells at the Royal College of Music. Herbert Howells wrote in his report of Andrew Downs, in a quiet but strong way, one of the most effective composers coming to me these days. I have very considerable hopes for him. Signed, H.H. Here is the first movement of Andrew Downs' Sonatina for Piano performed by Duncan Honeybourne on his CD, Daybreak in the Fields. You can purchase that CD, Daybreak in the Fields, on andrewdowns.com. Andrew Downs' seven preludes for piano were composed especially for you. Can you tell us how this came about? Well, I'd played the second sonata, which he wrote for me, in 2003. And then I was 
I can't remember through our long friendship and collaboration how we actually cooked up the idea of Seven Preludes, but I know I would have been and was keen to have another piano piece from him, and I think I may even have suggested that a set of Preludes might have been might might be a nice way to go after the Sonata. I then left the idea with him. Really, I think maybe I bounced one or two ideas of possible forms that I might be interested in having. And uh, Andrew went with the idea of Seven Preludes. And then, of course, the titles, he came up with these wonderful titles and these beautiful little vignettes. And I think already there we're seeing a more multi-layered, um, lots of levels of implied meaning. Okay. Uh, that is much, it's much more multi-layered than, than the sonatina. You know, we're fast forwarding now 30 years, I suppose. And whilst the craftsmanship remains impeccable, he's working on more deeper emotional and cerebral levels of sort of message and implication there. And I think this happens with maturity, really. And when you just think of the amount of music he'd written in the intervening time for Mm. so many different forces, it just sort of deepens and inflects the, the whole creative system differently I'm sure and that yeah. defies defies description really yeah. but then I did that set of preludes at Chichester University I was teaching there at the time and I did a recital in fact I think it was my first recital after I'd been appointed to that job I always tried to mix established repertoire with some new works and a premiere to put it in with things people might already know and mm. to make a variety of programming. I know that's what I did at, at Chichester and in fact the first performance that I did at Chichester was on a very historic, very old American Steinway that's historically very important and very rare that they have there. Yes, I, I, I remember that concert very well. Here is Duncan Honeybourne performing Daybreak in the Fields from Andrew Down's Seven Preludes for Piano.
That was Duncan Honeybourne playing Daybreak in the Fields from Andrew Dan's Seven Preludes for Piano on the CD Daybreak in the Fields, all the piano works of Andrew Dan's performed by Duncan Honeybourne, released by EM Records in 2017. This can be purchased at andrewdowns.com. Andrew Dan's then wrote another work for you, In Memoriam Herbert Howells, which was written to commemorate the 25th anniversary of the death of Herbert Howells. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Well, that was my idea because in 2008, I gave a recital in the Lydney Festival in Gloucestershire. Now, Herbert Howells was born in Lydney, a small town in the Forest of Dean, in 1892. This recital commemorated the 25th anniversary of Howells' death in 1983. So I wanted to include some piano music by Howells, Mm. But I also thought it would be nice to reflect something new and fresh, but connected. Yeah. That's why I, I spoke to Andrew and, and, and asked him if he'd consider writing a little piece just to reflect his association with with Howells in that anniversary year. And he loved the idea. Mm-hmm. And I think he, he's, I seem to remember him telling me he didn't know quite how the piece was going to end up, whether it was going to be more Howells or Downs. In the end, it was more... Downs than Howells, but I think the eye for craftsmanship, which was such a hallmark of Howells' own style and of what he encouraged in his teaching, is consummately present in the Downs piece, and I'm sure Howells would have been delighted. And also it reflects on a lovely sort of evolving mood, a very spacious evolving soundscape, which makes me think of Howells, and I think it's very apt for a tribute to Howells, really. And the Forest of Dean Howells Society promoted the concert and, you know, it was their project and commission, etc. So it was a rather resonant little project. Here is In Memoriam Herbert Howells, performed by Duncan Honeybourne.
That was Duncan Honeybourne performing In Memoriam Herbert Howells by Andrew Downs on his disc of all Andrew Downs' piano works called Daybreak in the Fields, released by EM Records in 2017, and this can be purchased at andrewdowns.com. I plan to ask all my guests the following two questions at the end of each podcast, since they are important to the Downs family. You do a lot of piano teaching as part of your work. Why yep. is music education important, in your opinion? Well, if, if we don't foster music education, the whole profession and the whole musical endeavour and the musical world will, will, will surely die on its feet. Mm-hmm. I think it's hugely important to nurture the coming generations. And actually, if we look back to many of the figures who are most dear to, well, certainly most dear to me musically, they've also been passionate educators. I mean, you know, we've just talked about Howells, and Howells is an example. Your father is another example. You know, not only has he been a hugely creative composer, but he arguably, his work as head of composition at Birmingham may have touched more hundreds and thousands of people even than his compositions because of what he's fostered in terms of guiding and stimulating and encouraging generations to come. I mean, you know, I go places all over the country and and you meet people who either studied with Andrew Downs or who studied with someone who knew him or studied with him and elements of his philosophy and this warm approach and um, creative approach to teaching and to composition and to music making filter down through the generations. So it's actually, you know, it's many, many generations hence that, the, if ever, that the, the influence of somebody who's worked 
broadly and creatively in music education ceases completely to be felt. And I think that's a tremendous legacy and yeah. a tremendous responsibility. So, yes, I, and I think from my point of view, a lot of my teaching has been, I mean, I teach at Southampton University where I deal with people who are going to be professional musicians and that's, that's wonderful. Mm. But I've also done a lot of teaching in a school environment. Some will go on to be musicians, many more won't. Mm. And I think a slightly different set of priorities comes into play there. It's very important to nurture a love of the subject and a desire to carry on being both a maker and practitioner of music and a lover of music and a listener to music. You want to open channels, you want to inspire, you want to encourage them to explore for themselves rather than put them off. It's so easy to put people off, it's so easy to dampen that passion. It's often I think you just need to stand back and watch and nurture and guide and encourage and suggest mm -hmm. rather than stamp on someone either with your own views or with prejudices or, or, or anything like that. There's, you can do a lot of harm and you want to try first and foremost not to do that but then to gently encourage, guide and nurture. At the very least, you want a lifelong interest in music to have yeah. been fostered by a pleasant set of associations with your lessons or the work you've, you've done with them, rather than them saying, oh, God, I hated my piano lessons, I never want to touch a piano or hear a piece of music ever again. You know, it's so easy for that to be the case. Yeah. Yeah, you have to be very mindful of that responsibility. It's a tremendous privilege but yes music education is in not the happiest of places no. at the moment as we all know and I think it's yes I'm very passionate about helping it find its right momentum. That was a fantastic answer. Our second question is why is music good for us? Well that's a that's a very broad one. I think if we think of music therapy and a lot of the issues that that follows on from. We know that music can have a very positive effect on people's mood, on people's state of mind, on their state of health. Mm. It can also be an escape from a very, very difficult world. The emotions it produces in us as listeners and also often as performers. I mean, it's a jolly difficult profession, but as, as an art form for, you know, somebody just enjoying it and letting it wash over them, it can be very transformative. There's tremendous power in it, and to provide a very simplistic answer to a very complex question, music can be life-affirming, life-transforming, and life-enhancing. I love that answer. That's that's brilliant. Will that do? Yeah, yeah that's absolutely <laughs> fantastic. It's been so good to talk to you. You're, and, you've got some you. fascinating ideas. Um, it's, been, it's given me a whole new perspective on my dad's music. <laughs> well, well... I hope that's a good thing. <laughs> no, it, it, it's fantastic. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much, Paula. It's lovely to chat to you as ever. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. you. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.